it was definitely scary at first because there was so much uncertainty. Um, and to suddenly see, you know, your sales numbers drop uh, seemingly overnight without any end in sight, you know, China went into full lockdown mode. Um, and, and even, you know, you would think lockdown is good for e-commerce, but in the beginning, they stopped all deliveries too. And, and most of the sellers went offline as well. So, you know, during like January, February, we, we had very, very few sales and our costs obviously were, were very fixed. So, um, yeah. you know, we were sitting around and, and we were, we were in our big house. We, instead of an office, we had a house uh, with, you know, three floors and room for room for, you know, 60 people really. Um, and mm-hmm. we had about four people coming into work, just my co-founders and, um, you know, a couple other people. And so, uh, we had to we had to say, okay, what do we do next, right? Hey, hi everyone! Thank you for tuning in. Today, my guest is Jay Thornhill. Jay is a real example of a success story of a foreigner making it in China. He's one of the co-founders of Baopals, a website for English-speaking consumers in China to access Taobao, Tmall, and JD, which is only in Chinese. What started as an entrepreneurial adventure between three friends living in the same building, Jay, together with Charlie Erickson and Tyler McNew, with no funding and no experience in e-commerce, managed to build a profitable company within a year, and it's still growing more than four years later. Baupost has often appeared in international news as an example of a successful company with foreign owners, and I read somewhere that over 250 million RMB of merchandise value has been sold through the platform. Bubbles even has their own wiki page. Funny fact is that I met Jay already in 2012, way before this all happened because he was our team's weekly English teacher for over one and a half years. Back then he was already very admirable with the way he was coming up with with new ways to make his teaching as effective as possible and also entrepreneurial as he had set up his own company to build up serious business with these kind of services. Jay told me that he was competing as a swimmer, so maybe that's why he is so ambitious. Through the years, I was very happy to see that he is doing so well with his latest entrepreneurial adventure, Baupals. And I'm very curious and I can't wait to catch up with Jay while he's in quarantine in Australia for his Christmas holiday visit. What did he learn from his entrepreneurial adventure? How hard was it to deal with so much uncertainty in China as a foreigner? What were the successes and failures and what is planned for the future? I cannot wait to dive into this interview. So without further ado, Jay Thornhill. Hey, hi Jay. Good to have you here. How are you today? Hey, Choi. Thanks for having me. Uh, Doing well, thanks. I'm coming to you live from uh, the Hilton in downtown Sydney, where I'm currently halfway through my 14-day quarantine. Oh, yeah. So also in Australia, you have to be um, kept in a hotel room before you can be released. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have all the time of the world then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going by quickly. You know, I, I thought I might get really bored and, and lonely, but um, to be honest, it hasn't been bad at all. They're keeping me well fed and I've got, I've got a comfortable enough room and enough space to do some exercise and enough work to keep me busy. So um, yeah, so it's really not too tough. Yeah, I think that is it. Do you also feel like you're more mindful that you have time to reflect? 
I suppose, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it, but I guess you do get a certain focus because you really have no one to distract you. I mean, there's, yeah. there's always the there's always the phone, and and you know, I've been keeping in touch with people, but um, you know, without without the the usual noises coming from outside or or really places to go, and you know, you have to think about kind of what am I doing today. Um, I'm, I'm more just wake up and I know where I'm going to be and I know what I'm going to do. Um, so you can get a bit more of a focus. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's becoming a trend or, yeah, or a need even that people will create. Oh no, I, I hope not. I mean, I do, I am looking out the window and I am excited to get out and experience some of this, um, you know, Australian coastline. Yeah. Okay. 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 Let me then distract you and take you to another journey. Uh, and, and that is your personal China journey. Uh, yeah. You, we know each other from Shanghai. Why did you go to China back then? And, and why did you go to Shanghai? Um, well, it's funny looking back at it um, because it was so long ago. And like most foreigners, I feel like that come to China, my plan was to go there for one year. And it ended up being 13 years. And I don't know if I've met a single expat in China that planned to go for one year, stayed for one year and left. Pretty much everybody I've ever come across ends up staying more than that. Um, mm. And so I was no different. I guess I, you know, I stayed longer than most in the end. But I came there when I was just 21. I had mm -hmm. graduated from university um, I had studied film, actually. That was my major. And I also studied, uh, I got a minor in business, a minor in video game design. And I was working as an editor um, for a little production company in LA. Um, so I saw, you know, a potential path into Hollywood, but I just really wasn't feeling it. It, it didn't seem like, uh, I wasn't that excited about it. And I was very interested in Asia because I had done an internship in Hong Kong my parents had lived in Thailand, um, and so I had visited. I'd also traveled to Japan and just found Asia to be really cool, really interesting. And China was particularly interesting because of its place in the world and its economic uh, rise. And so Shanghai just jumped out as the best potential location if I was going to go check it out because it's the most international city in China. Um, and it, it, you know, from very little research, it just seemed like, why not? I'll go there and experience it. And if I don't like it, you know, I'm not staying long anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, you know, I went on to a travel website for student discounts because I was like, well, I've just graduated. I don't have much money. Maybe I can still get, you know, some cheap airfare. And there was a link on the site that said, do you want to work overseas? And I clicked that because it was like, well, I really don't have the money to actually just go travel. Um, so I need to find some work. And that led me down uh, a path of getting a teaching certificate for English and a business English teaching certificate. And that landed me a job before I left the US. So I came to Shanghai with a year contract at an adult learning center, um, basically as an English teacher. And that was it. Then my plan was to do that. And then go spend a year in Spain and teach English there and then go spend a year in South America and teach English there and then go mm -hmm. back to California and start my real life. Wow. Okay. So yeah, completely um, unplanned that one year uh, became 13 years and you did not stay an English teacher. 
Right. No, after the first year, um, I just kind of kept an eye open for opportunities. And I spoke to uh, the company that was employing me. And I said, hey, uh, I'm not going to be a full-time teacher anymore. But if you're willing to give me a work visa, I'll be happy to work for you part-time and do some marketing work. And they had me doing like emceeing work in shopping malls and making some videos. So I actually started using my editing skills again. Um, mm. that, gave me, that gave me a chance to stay longer. And then I just started focusing on freelancing. And my goal became to kind of just work for myself and, and figure out where I could add value. And back then in China, as a foreigner, there were just all kinds of random opportunities that would pop mm. up. Um, I'm sure this year are we talking about? Uh, this is 2008. So my second year was 2008. Um, and I think it's changed a bit, but back then, you know, I would have people come up to me in a restaurant and just, just from hearing me speak. And, you know, this one guy was like, Hey, you have a nice voice. Would you like to be a, a voice recording artist? Um, if so, mm-hmm. give me a call and, and come do that. And so, you know, I would just pick up these work opportunities quite randomly um, and it was an exciting time, you know, as a young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You immediately liked the lifestyle in Shanghai, I assume. I did. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't really know what to expect, but um, there was something kind of liberating about just being being a total fish out of water, um, mm-hmm. because nobody really knows what to expect of you. You're just this like exotic uh, foreign creature, and and you know it's it can go to your head because it feels like everything you say and do is interesting to people because Chinese people are very curious about, uh, about foreigners. Um, and they're, they're very friendly and kind of eager to just hear your worldview. And, um, and so, you know, as a young guy, it was, it was exciting to be like, to feel like the center of attention and be the cool kid in the room. And so I would just go out partying all the time and, and, you know, mingling with people and just, uh, and just taking advantage of that. And eventually, you know, that, that period kind of wears off and you start to figure out, okay, like what kind of life am I really trying to build here? Do I want to develop a career? And once that became my focus, you know, I, I calmed down a lot and started taking things more seriously. Yeah. 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 And, and were your family and friends supportive of your decision to go to China and to stay there? If, uh, if they had known that I was going to end up there for 13 years, my family would have done everything in their power to stop me from getting on the plane. Um, Mm. You know, nobody thought I would stay longer than a year because it's China. It's just this completely foreign world. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, over time, my my parents gradually came to accept that I was staying. But the the real thing that made them accept it was, you know, that I started um, carving a path for myself and finding some success. Um, That's what really kind of made it justifiable is that I, I had good opportunities um, and it took some time to get there. You know, I mm-hmm. had to try some different things. I had to fail a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, they, you know, had to accept eventually um, that that was my home, that it had become my home. Yeah. Yeah. And our paths crossed uh, when you, when we were engaging you to improve our team's English. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and on my birthday, you gave me the book Freakonomics. So for me, mm-hmm. that was a clear signal already back then that you were very interested in business and building a business. Where does it, where does that come from? Yeah, um, yeah. I kind of I kind of wish I had studied economics because I just I found it to be a very interesting field, and it gives you a good set of tools for understanding the world and understanding incentives and 
why people do the things that they do, you know, as individuals or as, as societies. And um, I think I became really interested in, in business mainly as a means to kind of secure my own freedom. Um, I've, always, I've always liked to do my own thing. Um, I, maybe that's because I, I come from a family that likes telling each other what to do and I'm no different, which I guess is why I became a boss. But, um, I've always, I've always, you know, been resistant to being told what to do. And mm. so when I, when I found the opportunity to work for myself and, you know, kind of took that plunge, I, I really enjoyed, um, making my own decisions about how I spend my time and also, just creating my own incentives and being rewarded for, for my work. Because when you're on your own, you, you, you get to see a more direct connection with, uh, risk reward and with, with hard work and reward. Um, Mm -hmm. nothing is guaranteed. Uh, and I, yeah, I always kind of liked that. Um, I I thought it forced me to learn a lot more, um, and kind of have a more, uh, varied skill set. Um, because, you know, working as a freelancer and then as a, like a, kind of a, an individual consultant or, or business owner, you just have to, you have to work at many different aspects of a business. And so, um, I like how it kept me engaged and yeah, I just, I, I saw, I saw having my own business or at least working for myself as a way to give myself a lot more freedom in life. Um, so that ended up becoming a goal. Yeah. Yeah. And then you started Biopulse. And Valpos, uh, if if yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. That is an English portal linked to the big Chinese platforms with non-Chinese as customers who will buy through your platform, and Valpos receives a percentage for every purchase. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's perfectly accurate. Okay, how how did you get the idea? Uh, yeah, so the idea originated with my co-founder, one of my best friends, and my former neighbor at the time, um, Charlie. And, um, he, he was traveling and he was thinking about, uh, wanting to start a business because he had been working as, as a teacher as well. He taught English and macroeconomics at a, at a high school, uh, an international high school. And he had decided that he, you know, he didn't want to continue doing that. It was, it was never meant to be his career path. Um, and so he wanted to try something bold and ambitious and he, he got inspired um, to try to come up with a problem to solve. And so he listed out some problems and the the top of the list was solving the Taobao problem, which for us was simply the fact that as foreigners in China, we knew that using Taobao was the best way to buy things um, and we weren't using it because it was it was difficult, if not impossible, for us to get an account on Taobao and figure out how to shop. So whenever we wanted to buy things, we had to ask a Chinese friend or a Chinese colleague to buy it for us. And it was just really troublesome. And so, you know, he knew and, and when he spoke to uh, his roommate, TJ and, and me, um, we all knew that this was a problem that we wanted to have solved just for ourselves, that if there was a way for us to shop on Taobao more conveniently, we would really love it. And uh and so it just felt like a great idea for a business, especially when we, when we realized that nobody was doing it. We couldn't find a single solution. We found attempts at solutions, and they were complete failures because they just couldn't get it right um, from a technological standpoint, usually, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and, and other things as well that just weren't hitting the mark. And so 
Yeah, so we looked at it as as a problem that, if solved, was a was a viable business right off the bat. Um, it was something that would make us, you know, first to market because nobody was doing it, mm-hmm. um, and something that we could do together, you know, as as a group of really close friends, um, without a ton of capital uh, needed. And we thought, okay, well, why not? Like, the where none of us are really that you know, content with our current situation. Like Charlie mm-hmm. wanted to leave his job teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. TJ was unemployed and just doing some freelance work as a, as a web programmer. Um, and I had, I had actually kind of sold my, my training business and joined up with a competitor and that really wasn't going well. So we were all at a, at a point where we didn't have much to lose. And this idea was just so promising that we thought if we can build it, we absolutely have to try and we have to go broke trying to do it because the payoff could be huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the the two hurdles was a technical part and then a marketing part, I assume. Um, Technical was was the biggest hurdle um, Mm. because, yeah, it's not easy. It wasn't easy at all to build what we built. And, you know, it it also takes an effort to kind of maintain it because we were building on top of technology from Alibaba and that technology wasn't designed uh, to be used the way that we were using it. And we had to build it without permission as well. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we who were we? We were just three young guys with no connections and no no money and no influence and and no no way to you know tell anybody what we were doing and, and get the support that we needed. So we just figured, okay, we'll find our way in. We'll we'll get the the pieces that we need and fit it together like a puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. And we were able to do that just enough to get a basic version up and running. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, technically it was tough, but we were still able to build something in about six months. Okay. Um, and from there, you know, the marketing side, I I wouldn't really say was that much of a challenge because um, because we were we were a niche product. We were serving just expats in China, and and we were the first of its kind. So once it got out there. And word started getting around. Uh, people did the marketing for us, just through word of mouth, and then through like expat media channels. There, we we started generating a lot of buzz within about a month of launching. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we we tried a lot of marketing activities in the first year and realized that a lot of them had little to no impact. Um, mm. But we saw we saw rapid growth, and that became steady growth just from uh, good word of mouth and, you know, customers telling their friends and their colleagues. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So you're saying that yeah, you're building this, this portal on top of an existing uh, platform from Alibaba. So yeah, I understand that, that they are supporting your website. Is that correct? And is, is that still the case? Um, well, I guess, I guess it depends what we mean by support. You know, I would, I generally, I would say that, you know, we, we can't exist without them, but they aren't, they aren't directly supporting us. Um, they, you know, we, yeah, we do, we do have an agreement to use, um, data that we're using. Um, but it's not, it's not something that's active on their part, you know, like they're kind of the gatekeeper, they open the gate for us. And that, that's kind of the extent of our relationship. We're pretty much left alone to our own devices from that point. Um, and you know, we're kind of happy that way. I mean, we would love to, we would love to have more support from them, obviously, because we could do a lot more, I think, if we, 
you know, if we could talk to them and, and, and request more access or, um, you know, any, any kind of support, whether technical or obviously, uh, financial, if we, if we really want to go big, but, um, but for the most part, we have what we need now and we can keep improving our platform without, um, any support from Alibaba or from, uh, JD. Okay. Yeah. So JD has the same uh, approach. Yeah, it's quite similar. We, we just added JD about a year ago. Um, to just expand the product offering and kind of take advantage of um, JD's logistics, which is a bit more reliable and quality controlled and, and tends to be very fast across China. So um, okay. that was a good thing to add to the site. And both of them, they are still not planning to have an English version. Yeah, no. Um, you know, actually, it's kind of it, it was interesting. We noticed that JD did have an English version years ago. Um, but they didn't really market it and it wasn't easy to find. And then we noticed when we started looking again at, at incorporating JD that the English version was gone, um, mm. which is quite surprising. And I think, I think they just ran into issues and they realized that it wasn't worth maintaining because it is such, such a small niche market if you're only serving foreigners who live in China. The real market, you know, the real market for non-Chinese is obviously overseas. And so that's why Alibaba puts all their all their uh, resources for the foreign market into serving outside of China with, you know, with platforms like AliExpress. Um, and, and to, to kind of do what we did and, and come out with an English version uh, of, of something like Taobao, it could get quite messy for them because their entire system is built for the Chinese user. And you know, there's a lot of like direct communication with sellers and, and to suddenly say, you know, okay, now there's an English one. It would require a lot of work um, and and a lot of cooperation from the sellers, and for what you know, for a tiny a tiny little piece of market that is nothing compared to the um, to the you know what one point five billion or more Chinese people that they're trying to compete for. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So 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 yeah, there's still no competition then, actually, for you. Right. No, I mean, you know, it's just general competition for, for whatever shopping options people use because um, yeah. you can buy anything and everything on our platform because we have, you know, we have over a billion products. Um, so, yeah, really, we're just kind of competing with any option that people have to buy to buy the things that they want to buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then with the advantage that you offer it at all in, in English. Yeah, it's just it's a lot more convenient. Um you know, as a, as a foreigner in China, like I, I still don't use Taobao. Um, I mean, why would I, I use my own platform. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. What do you shop most for what kind yeah. of items? Um, uh, everything. I mean, I'm looking around me right now and it's hard to see anything that I didn't buy on Baopao yeah. because it's just become my go-to. So all the clothes that I'm wearing, my, my phone, I, I got, you know, the new, a new iPhone on there recently. I got my phone case, my, my my Oculus Quest, my PlayStation, um, and then tiny things like accessories, little electronics, um, bags. My what about groceries? <laughs> Sorry, oh groceries. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, not anymore because now I'm out of China. But I was buying, um, I was buying things like milk and and meat, uh, wow. you know, and and snacks and so on because you can buy all of that stuff um, and have it shipped fresh. You know, they they pack it um, well yeah. enough. Yeah. Okay. So you're also personally, you're also completely uh, an online consumer, basically. Yeah. It's yeah. And you know, before Bow Pals, I never shopped online. <laughs> it's mm. just, 
Yeah, because it's not possible. Yeah. Well, it, it just wasn't. It just wasn't available to us in China, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's why this. That's why we felt uh, we needed to build this because it's it's far more convenient to shop online, and China's yeah. probably the best place in the world to shop online because of the the options, the prices, and and the shipping. Um, yeah. And we weren't doing it, you know. So after we after we built the first version of the platform, we realized how amazing it actually is to shop online in China. And I started buying. I started spending a lot more money. <laughs> Did you? Okay, I can imagine. But yeah. yeah, you didn't know that you there were so many things that you actually needed, right? Needed and wanted, right? <laughs> um, you know. So like I. You know, I I was still wearing the same clothes I had since high school um, for a while. Actually, I still the shirt I'm wearing now is like at least ten years old. So I haven't gotten good at upgrading my my wardrobe. But um, but yeah, it's very good. It's very sustainable. That's good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's a there's a lot of comforts you can have in your home um, mm-hmm. that you know I just didn't think about because I wasn't going out you know looking for these things. But when when you run a shopping website, you're looking at things every day. And you're seeing what other people are buying and and recognizing, you know, great products yeah. at great prices. And sometimes it's hard to resist. Yeah, but it's also it's not so easy to shop uh, in in real shops like offline in China. Anyway, I feel it's like different from the West. You just go to a mall and then you know exactly what to what to, where to buy what. In China, I feel that isn't the case, and it's already a long time that people just shop online. So if you have no access to it, it's it's kind of like uh, frustrating at some point, even. Definitely, especially if you're trying to buy a product from back home that you miss.、Mm. A lot of people actually come to Baopals、uh, because they're looking for an imported product, something you know, like a snack from from back in the U.S. or from Australia、um, that they just want to taste again. And the only way to get it, you know, they can't get it in their supermarket, but they know they can get it online. So、um, I think that's an entry point for a lot of our customers is actually being able to buy foreign brands and and imported、mm-hmm. products. And then、mm-hmm. after that, they stick around and they start discovering a lot of great Chinese products. And you can't beat the prices、um, when、mm-hmm. you start finding good Chinese products. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you managed to、uh, build a successful business.、Uh, how many employees do you have right now? So now we're at about thirty、um, plus a handful of interns.、Mm-hmm. And are you willing to share something of the financial success that you're having? Ah,、uh, sure.、Um, yeah, I was actually just putting together our quarterly report,、um, and so I was looking at the numbers and. Uh, our total, our total、uh, gross merchandise value now is、uh, about two hundred sixty-five million RMB. So、uh, that's about forty million US dollars.、Um, wow. And we're doing about five thousand items per day now.、Um, for about、uh, lately, at, we're having a really good December. We're doing about four hundred thousand RMB in sales per day,、um, wow. which is it'll be the best month we've ever had. Um, you know, with Christmas shopping season and without with with fewer people leaving the country for holiday now, there's a lot of shopping going on.、Um, so yeah, the numbers the numbers have been good.、Um, we've been we've been profitable pretty much since the end of the first year because we didn't raise much money, and so we had to get profitable as soon as we could.、Um, and so we got profitable by like month thirteen after launch,、um, and we've pretty much stayed profitable since then. And so we saw a dip in sales this year with COVID because 
um, you know, when the when the virus was spreading in China, a lot of our customer base fled the country because they thought, you know, this is a problem in China and they were scared. And so they went away and then the borders closed and they couldn't come back. So we lost about a third of our customers um, early on in the year. And they're just slowly coming back in now. But um, at the same time, there, there's been more online shopping this year. Um, and so, you know, our numbers bounce back pretty nicely. We're, we're uh, just starting to pass the level we were at pre-COVID, um, mm-hmm. but, but our costs are much lower now. We, we got more efficient. Um, we got rid of our office and started working remotely. And, and so, um, you know, that puts us in, in good position going forward. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good for you guys. Yeah, so it was a an uh, unpredictable uh, year for you, uh, quite hard. Even if one third of your cus- con- customers uh, leave the country, uh, it, could you? Would you? Um, is it like the most hard times you've been through since uh, starting Bow Pulse? Um, it was definitely scary at first because there was so much uncertainty, um, and to suddenly see you know your sales numbers drop uh, seemingly overnight without any end in sight, you know, China went into full lockdown mode. Um, and, and even, you know, you would think lockdown is good for e-commerce, but in the beginning they stopped all deliveries too. And, and most of the sellers went offline as well. So, you know, during like January, February, we, we had very, very few sales and our costs obviously were, were very fixed. So, um, you know, we were sitting around and, and we were, we were in our big house. We, instead of an office, we had a house uh, with, you know, three floors and room for room for, you know, 60 people really. Um, mm-hmm. and we had about four people coming into work, just my co-founders and, um, you know, a couple other people. And so, uh, we had to, we had to say, okay, what do we do next? Right. We've got, we've got some staff working remotely now that's going quite fine. Um, mm-hmm. and we have no idea when things are going to get back to normal, but our sales definitely aren't going to pick up anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. So where, where can we shed costs? And the, the glaring cost that we could shed was the office, right? So um, we did that. We focused on working effectively remotely and we built some, some really cool like automated tools for tracking uh, people's work, not like in a big brother type way, but more for um, gamifying it and, and giving them points and, um, and rewarding people the more work they do. Um, and that led to a really nice boost in productivity and it, it kept morale high because then people know, Hey, like I can, I, if I work hard, even though mm. nobody's watching me directly, this system is, you know, is, is giving me points and, and I'm competing and I can, I can win the high score and, and improve my bonus. So, um, actually I wouldn't, you know, getting back to your question, I wouldn't say that this was the toughest year. It was just a very unique year in terms mm. of the challenge we face, but um, I think we responded really well and the team adapted really quickly. Um, and we actually, by, by the time summer came around, we were in better position, I think, than we've ever been because, um, because our costs were low. We were, we were more profitable than we'd been before the outbreak. Um, mm-hmm. And also, personally, I found a lot of freedom um, you know, working remotely and started to think about my future and, and realizing, okay, I can... I can manage this business and do my job from anywhere. So what kind of opportunities does that open up for me? Um, and that's why, you know, you're now talking to me um, and I'm in Australia instead of in China and I'm planning to, um, you know, to, to be more nomadic uh, as long as I can. So, um, so yeah, I wouldn't say this is the most challenging year. I, I mean, 
it's kind of hard to say which year was because every year presented different challenges because we were at different stages in the company. Yeah, when did the company grow the hardest? Um, well, the first year, the first year was uh, actually the first two years were were really insane uh, because we uh, about about a month in we just started growing. Um, you know, in the first month we were getting like like five to ten orders a day. You know, mm -hmm. we were really happy to to get some action, and we were like looking closely at every order, every customer, and. Mm -hmm. And saying like, okay, like, how did this person find us, and what are they buying, and, and what do we do now? You know, we just had to figure out like, what's the process? Like, somebody trusted us with their money, and we got to make sure we provide a good service. Um, and you know, after about after about three weeks from the launch, we were on the front page of of um, some expat media in China. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they had an article saying, you know, this new website um, brings you Taobao in English, and and then we jumped from you know, eight orders a day to 30 orders a day. And, uh, and then a couple months later, we were doing a hundred orders a day and mm. we had 15 people now working in a two bedroom apartment <laughs> and, um, because we still didn't have an office yet. Uh, and we were like, we were just, it, it was really challenging because we had to figure out how do we hire people? How do we mm. employ people the right way? How do mm -hmm. we, yeah, how do we handle our contracts? Um, and all this, all this stuff that you have to handle in Chinese where, you know, we don't, we don't read Chinese, we weren't capable of doing it. And so we had to bring in Chinese help, um, mm -hmm. just to, just to kind of get things in order. And then we had to, we had to hire quickly enough and train quickly enough while trying to maintain a really high standard of, of customer service. Um, so it was super busy. It was super hectic, but it was really fun because, um, our dream was just coming to life, you know, right before our eyes. And, yeah. and so it was exhausting, but it was really, uh, it was really exciting. And then, so that was the kind of defining the first year. And then the second year we, we started, we, we grew really fast again in the second year and started making a pretty significant amount of money. And then mm -hmm. the legal questions, you know, and, and financial questions like, okay, like, where are we going with this? Are we, uh, mm -hmm. where, you know, we were being, we were being featured on television. Now we had Chinese, uh, investors getting interested in us. Like I appeared on the, on the Chinese shark tank TV show, Changua Zhongguo, um, where we had, you know, a guy, a guy offer a pretty significant investment for a 10% stake, which, which, uh, I rejected on TV. Um, and all these crazy things were happening and we were like, all right, like, what do, uh, what's going to happen? What's our path? Are we like, are we trying to go down this this uh, kind of uh, cliche or not cliche, but this typical startup path where you you always seek the next round of funding and you you seek out like a potential acquisition or an IPO and there was a lot of a lot of that stuff which we didn't know how to navigate and and I think we were kind of getting you know maybe not the best advice or at least not like not listening to just ourselves I mean my co-founders and, and me. Um, mm -hmm. And, and we got ahead of ourselves and we spent a lot of money on things we didn't need. We like set up an offshore entity in the Cayman Islands and we, we hired an in-house lawyer. And, um, you know, I mean, that can be a good thing to do, but, you know, it's not typically something a second year startup with 25 employees would do. Right. Um, and, and so that second year we were, we were moving very fast and we were letting, we, we kind of got ahead of ourselves on, on the path that we were on and let our costs get out of control. And we spent the third year 
pumping the brakes on all the startup hype and just focusing on being a good profitable business again and mm. and kind of forgetting all that you know that fundraising and the you know the the startup craze and just saying look if that if those things come to us then we'll we'll respond but let's control what we can control let's make a, a profitable business let's keep our service quality high let's keep our customers and employees happy um and and let's you know kind of control our own destiny and so once we once we kind of got back to those basics um i think a lot of the stress went away um and you know we we just started um making better decisions for the business Mm-mm-mm-mm. yeah Okay. Yeah. Very interesting that in three years you go really, um, each year has been a different journey. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what about now? Do you have other investors now? Uh, no, so we haven't, um, uh, we haven't raised any funds since, uh, basically the end of the first year, um, mm-hmm. when we moved into our first office. And so we never had, we never had like a real angel round even, um, mm-hmm. We just raised uh, we raised some money from friends, personal contacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was enough to get us through one year and, and to profitability. Um, and from that point on, we we thought, you know, we'll we'll raise money if we need it. But um, we've been able to, you know, build up enough enough cash reserves to fund the business and and expand at a pace that we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So still. You, Charlie, and and TJ, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and then um, some friends that helped us along the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great that you are still in this um, in this team. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm sure the relationship had its up, ups and downs, and that you've been through together a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. Has has it did it influence your relationship, your friendship? Well, I, I think it brought us even closer. We were already good friends before we started the business. Um, we had been friends for several years already. Um, but you know, there's nothing like there's nothing like going into business together, short of getting married, really, um, to to bring you closer together, um, and also to present you with uh, with all kinds of challenges. But um, it's been great. You know, a lot of times people say, "Don't go into business with friends," right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I I always argue against that just based on my own experience because if you're going into business with somebody I think you want to you want to have a good foundation with them already and if you haven't been through uh, hard times with that person then how do you know how they're going to respond or how you're going to respond when hard times come because it's inevitable in business and so you know you might be surprised when when things get really stressful. Um, it can put a strain on the relationship. And if you don't have a history together of getting through those tough times, then, you know, you can end up doubting yourself, doubting them. Um, yeah. So I think, I think for us, our friendship has been a real, uh, a real strength because um, for a couple of reasons, one is that, yeah, when we, when we had stressful times, when we had big mistakes or, or bad luck, um, you know, we don't, we don't jump to play the blame game. Um mm. Unless you know it's deserved, and sometimes it is, and and you know, usually usually the person at fault will take responsibility. Um, yeah. But but like we know that we can express our frustration and our anger, um, mm-hmm. and and eventually we can move on from it because um, because we're we're tight, you know, we're, we're like brothers. And then another strength from it is that we really like spending time together outside of work, um, mm-hmm. and 
you know, actually that ends up being where a lot of the best work ideas come from because mm-hmm. it, a lot of our ideas come when we step away from the grind and, and just have some drinks or, or whatever and talk about the big picture and just feel good about where we're going. And then yeah. suddenly some new opportunities come up and say, you know what, like speaking of this, why don't we try that? Or what if we were to, what if we were to focus on this for a while? Could we build something new? And so I think, I think having co-founders where you just like hanging out with them um, and whether you're talking about work or not, I, I think that's really good for the business as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I can sort of relate to that as well. Uh, we are also with three uh, co-founders. And um, yeah, I don't know why the number three seems to be working. Uh, but yeah. Disagreements. <laughs> they can, they can, uh, you know, when two people disagree, the third person can, uh, can be the final vote. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say that, uh, you and I, uh, talk, uh, complain about Zach to each other and Zach and I complain about you go to each other and I'm sure they are complaining about me with each other. So it's like a kind of balance, I think. Yeah, that's true. You know, if, if it's just two of you, then. You yeah, can't everybody yourself, right? You have no outlet, and you have no one. You have no one to vent to, but you also have no one to keep you in check and say, "Well, okay, I understand why you're upset, but don't take it too far." Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, and yeah, I've been through the same. Indeed, like you're fighting, but you also have the same interests, and you can kind of uh, really uh, trust each other that it all will be okay. Also, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. So yeah, it's been an awesome adventure until now, but what is planned for the future? Are you going to go international? Yeah, actually, um, that's something that's really exciting these days. Um, and that's that we have soft launched overseas shipping to Hong Kong and Australia. Um, oh. So yeah, actually, you might have a site soon. <laughs> I, I should have I'm told happy you. to hear indeed. Yeah, so um, we, we started this just about six weeks ago, very quietly. Um, we picked Hong Kong and Australia because um, we felt that the shipping would be relatively smooth. Um, it's a lot easier to ship to Hong Kong, obviously, because it's very close by um, and quite cheap. And, and people in Hong Kong are often very familiar with Taobao already. Um, so it seemed like a decent place to start. And then Australia, we were intrigued by because we wanted to test out an English speaking market because that's our top you know, customer base for obvious reasons. Um, and prices in Australia for consumer goods are very high relatively. Um, mm-hmm. and shipping to Australia isn't that expensive either. I mean, you can ship, you know, the, the minimum, the base fee for, uh, like a kilo to Australia is about 75 RMB. And then it's like an extra seven RMB for, um, you know, additional increments of weight above that. So it, it, it's not that, um, costly, especially if you order a, a bunch of different items and, and consolidate. Um, so yeah, so the plan going ahead is to, um, you know, officially announce that we're shipping to those two countries to start doing a little bit of uh, digital marketing um, to try to get a customer foothold um, and just keep improving the process because this it's very different from our domestic service. You know, there are different issues we have to deal with. And so we want to go slowly, make sure that we provide a good service, uh, you know, to those first customers. And if that goes well, then we'll we'll kind of pump in the marketing a bit more, and then we'll look at expanding to more countries um, in 2021. You know, especially the big one, which would be the U.S. and Canada as well. Wow, that is very exciting. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, we've got some other stuff as well. You know, that's the big one. Um, but we also have a whole new uh, like content platform that we're adding to Balpals because in the past, uh, we've always had a separate website for like the Balpals blog where um, a lot of people actually go to shop because they want to get recommendations because there's just so many products to choose mm. from. Um, mm-hmm. But we're bringing all of that in-house now and where we built our own backend for managing content and creating uh, different types of content. And this is just going to open up a lot of opportunities for us to keep users better engaged, um, to get much more data collection so we can show people the right content at the right time, um, you know, the right users. Um, so that's another thing. And, and then the last big project uh, we want to start soon is finally uh, building mobile apps, um, which may come as a surprise because we've existed for uh, over four years and we, we, aren't, we don't even have apps yet. But in China, if you have a good mobile website and you have an official WeChat account, that kind of serves as your mobile app because, you know, people can, can use your official account and shop and pay and, you know, they could talk to customer service there. And so we didn't really feel much of a need for an app, but as we expand globally, um, you know, the app is going to be like a a really important piece. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds indeed really weird that you don't have an app yet, but I know know. we'll, we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, so you have ambition uh, towards um, uh, delivering overseas. But what about the population of foreigners in China? Is it going up or down? Well, it definitely went down this year. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to say how much, really. I mean, I, but I talked to some other businesses that are serving foreigners, and they had a similar experience where you know about like 35 to 40% of their user base was, was gone in the beginning of the year. Um, but we've started seeing it creep back up. You know, I think we've we've regained uh, maybe half of what was lost uh, with new customers, and and then some of the ones coming back. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think we you know our growth definitely slowed down. Like by by year three, we kind of we started to plateau a little bit, um, mm. but we were able to improve the business just in terms of our efficiency. Um, and and we focused a bit less on growing that top line, um, but we are growing again. I, I think that next year we'll we'll still see a bit of growth at the top um, and a lot more growth at the bottom, just because we're we're a bit better at, at doing what we do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I I suspect that a lot of foreigners are looking to come to China and and will be over the next year or two or more because of the situation we're in um, with the global economy. You know, China ironically made it out of this pandemic as well as any country. I think it's one of the only, if not the only country that actually had a, a GDP increase this year. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And, and, and exports also rose, um, especially with PP, PPE or PPP. I forget how many P's. Um, but I think, I think China's in a pretty good position economically, you know, relative to other countries. I think there's going to be a lot of unemployed, um, you know, foreigners around the world looking for a job and they'll realize that they can come to China and at the very least, you know, do what I did and be an English teacher and then find, find new opportunities from there. Yeah. But it's not getting easier. I think the access to China, I mean, for the rules and uh, how to get a work and residence permit and opportunities, it has not become easier over time. Right. I think that's, that's a result of, um, the supply and demand. You know, I think I think it's because more and more foreigners want to come to China, mm-hmm. and 
if they don't impose some restrictions, then they aren't getting the the type of people in that they want for for the jobs, right? Um, and so I, I think it's just a natural progression that they're going to make it tougher um, because they want to make sure that they're being selective and and getting getting people who they know can can work legitimately and contribute to the economy. And um, you know, I think they'll ease up. They actually I, earlier this year they or, or in the middle of the year, I remember reading they eased up some of the visa requirements. They introduced some new ones like the entrepreneur visa. Um, and so I think they'll, they'll adjust things as needed when they need yeah. to, you know, get people in for jobs or for school. Yeah. Yeah. But the easy times that you could just travel to Hong Kong, get a business visa with multiple entry for a year for China based on a business card. Those times are definitely over, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think yeah. a lot of, I won't self-incriminate, but a lot of expats you know, in China over the years had visa stories where they just found a way to stay without necessarily, yeah. you know, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. But yeah, they're, yeah. they're kind of behind us. Yeah. So it was also necessary indeed. Yeah. 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 So when you were saying like this year had made you uh, think about, yeah, what's next and, and uh, what do you, what you want in life? Um, yeah. What is the near future for you going to be? What are your plans? Yeah. So um, it's an interesting time, you know, for me to, to answer that question because there's, there's a lot of uncertainty and I'm kind of at a crossroads. Um, but I made the decision to, uh, to leave China, um, which is something that I'd been thinking about for a while. It wasn't a sudden decision. Um, mm-hmm. With the business at a point where it's at, and and us all working remotely, I realized I I could you know pursue one of my other dreams, uh, which was my dream when I first came to China, and that's to explore the world and experience more cultures and um, and, and just get new experiences. So I, I found myself kind of uh, personally a bit stagnant, you know, every every day a bit the same, and you know hanging out in the same neighborhood I've been in for years, going to the same places, and being quite content but not really being challenged and not mm-hmm. being that inspired, right? So I figure, you know, I, I draw inspiration from new experiences and, and new environments. So um, I'm really looking forward to when this pandemic is, you know, mostly behind us and borders start opening up. Uh, and then I plan to travel. And I haven't really decided where to go because what's the point in doing that right now? You know, I'm going to be in Australia for, uh, I'd say, about half a year. And mm-hmm. then I'll see what, what options are available. I'll probably go back to Shanghai, you know, to check in with the team and, and friends. Um, and then from there, uh, I'd like to be a nomad um, as long as the business is going smoothly. Um, and I also would like to try coming up with more business ideas uh, because, you know, we have we have like at least the next six months planned with Baopals for our tech team, but they get to a point where their job becomes more about maintaining rather than creating new things mm. um, because you get to a point of kind of diminishing returns where you don't need to change everything just for change's sake. Um, so what we're excited about doing, you know, my co-founders and I is coming up with new ideas. Um, and we have a great, a really great uh, small tech team that's mm-hmm. capable of building practically anything we can dream up. So um you know, as I as I kind of explore the world, uh, I want to keep an eye out for new ideas. Um, mm. I want to share them with Charlie and TJ, um, and and then whatever ideas we like most, we'll pitch to our tech team and we'll plan these uh, short projects to, you know, build prototypes and and see if we if anything sticks. Um, yeah, cool. So kind of keeping the startup mentality. 
yeah, I, you know, I can't, I can't imagine, uh, I can't imagine going back to the way things were now, you know, I, I really like, uh, I really like, you know, my having my business. I, I love what we built. Um, and I like the kind of, uh, lifestyle and, and work style that, um, I have. So I got to do everything I can to keep that going. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah. But still keep on challenging yourself as well. Yeah. I'll get bored if I stop working. So, um, okay. I don't think I'll do that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to my usual questions uh, to my guests. And, uh, the first one is, um, who were your mentors who inspired you? I, you know, it's the, the, the word mentor is, um, something I only started hearing when we started Bow Pals and I started interacting with more, uh, entrepreneurs and just getting a little bit involved in like the Shanghai startup scene. I kept hearing the word mentor come up and I, I was surprised to find out that it's a very common thing, like for people to have, not not to have mentors per se, but to have like an a, like a, a formal mentor, like someone who who they often refer to as their mentor. Whereas I always thought, you know, whoever kind of influences you uh, or maybe a little more experienced than you, well, they're they're your mentor. But people actually have these like formal relationships with mentors, which I've never had. My co-founders never had. Um, and so I don't have a go-to answer for you there, but, um, but, you know, I've always, I've always liked to chat with people who are interested in talking about business. Um, mm-hmm. and even, you know, some of my, some of my students, uh, in the early days, um, when I was, uh, teaching in business, especially when I started doing more like one-on-one coaching with managers, I found myself, you know, working with people who had a lot more business experience than me. Um, mm-hmm. and and often, you know, got uh, an under the hood look at how they were making decisions and what the challenges they were facing. Um, and so that that started giving me some practical business knowledge instead of just what I was reading in books or listening to in podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always talked to my my parents, especially my dad, um, about the business, and and I like to kind of get his take on things as well because he he actually started his own business um, back when he was a young man. Um, mm-hmm. And then otherwise, though, it's really been my co-founders um, mm. because from the beginning, we were just kind of in this in this together without really without any big shot investor or, or anyone um, guiding us. And and our, our plan was kind of so crazy and ambitious, given the fact that we had no experience in e-commerce whatsoever, not mm. even on a personal level. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone we talked to about it thought we were kind of crazy because, you know, we were just three typical Americans in Shanghai, like, you know, having a good time and getting by and doing plenty of partying as well. And, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't really fit the mold. So, um, but we knew we had each other and, and just having, I think three co-founders, you don't, you don't often need to go out for external advice because anyone you turn to, well, they don't know, they don't know your business the way you do. Right. Mm. Um, and nobody had built anything like what we were building. So, rather than try to catch up somebody on everything that we've got going on, we always were able to talk to each other. Um, mm. And, you know, the, I don't know who said it, but somebody said once, if, if uh, two people in a business agree all the time, one of them isn't necessary. Um, mm. And, and fortunately uh, you know, we, we aren't afraid to challenge each other. I mean, we mm. talk about things and um, we, we have our disagreements and then we usually end up getting to the right decision in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, yeah, a good relationship and really helping the business grow as well. Yeah, and okay, and ten years from now, 
where are you and what are you doing? <laughs> Jeez, I mean, you could you could make it one year from now and I wouldn't really know. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, so 10 years from now, uh, who knows, maybe I'll have a family. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll have a house and I'll 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 have some more stability in my life because in the short term I do want to travel a lot and and see the world because you know on the more distant horizon I imagine that uh it'll be much harder to do that you know if I if I want to set down some roots um and uh hopefully hopefully Baopals will you know still still be in existence um you know I think uh, I think as long as we're allowed to operate it will be but you know you just never know um mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we'll have some other businesses uh, by that point as well. So um, a lot can change in in one year, let alone 10 years, but we'll see. Yeah, now you're doing very well. And I certainly can imagine that 10 years from now, there will be a lot of side ideas and side businesses that uh, turn into a mature business as well. That'll be fun. I hope so. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story. Uh, very inspiring, and I'm yeah, I can imagine that people want to reach out to you and learn more about you or get in touch. How can people contact you? Uh sure, yeah. Um, and, and thanks for having me. By the way, it's always fun to um, to share, especially with an old friend. Um, so if people want to reach out, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn just with my uh, my name, Jay Thornhill. Um, and my, my Balpals email is j at j a y at balpals.com. So that's pretty easy. Um, and yeah, uh, if people want to, uh, check out, you know, Balpals, obviously it's balpals.com and, and we have an official WeChat account, um, which you could search for with Balpals, um, you know, to get like our weekly content and see what's going on there. Oh, I love your weekly content, by the way. It's always so funny. Yeah, it's, it's good fun. A lot of people love the, uh, the cool, the cheap and the crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's really amazing. What, yeah, when you pick, uh, yeah, when you pick out to, to highlight what's there online. Yeah, so I definitely uh, recommend to get a subscription to that. Cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if anybody's in China, obviously they can uh, they can check out the site and shop in Australia and Hong Kong. We're now serving your markets as well. Um, and if you're not in those places, stay tuned because uh, we're coming. Yeah. Great. Okay, Jay, thank you very much. Uh, wishing you a lot of uh, stamina for the for the second uh, half of your quarantine and an amazing time in Australia with your family. Thanks a lot, Choi. Happy holidays to you too. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.